If you're a regular listener, you know that here at Jones Day Talks, we record quarterly updates on insights and actions related to the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office's Patent Trial and Appeal Board, or PTAB. This is our first entry for 2021, and there's a lot to catch you up on. Matt Johnson and Sarah Gears are here to talk about trends in PTAB filing activities and about discretionary denials, which is likely the hottest issue at PTAB today. They'll also discuss the legacy of former PTAB director Andre Yanku. I'm Dave Dalton. You're listening to Jones Day Talks. Based in Jones Day's Pittsburgh office, Matt Johnson is one of Jones Day's primary contacts on practice before the USPTO's Patent Trial and Appeal Board, where patentability of issued patents can be challenged. A registered patent attorney, Matt is the administrator of Jones Day's PTAB litigation blog, which you can find at ptablitigationblog.com. Sarah Gears represents pharmaceutical clients in intellectual property litigation in a variety of venues, including in district court, arbitration, and the PTAB. Her practice spans Hatch-Waxman and other patent infringement actions, inter-parties review proceedings, trade secret, and misappropriation actions. Her litigation experience spans discovery, trial, and appeal. Sarah works out of Jones Day's office in New York. Matt, Sarah, thanks for being here today. Hey, Dave. Good to be here. Thanks. Hey, Dave. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now, I think this is going to be a good program. This is an interesting time right now, so let's dive right in. Let's go to Matt first. Okay, Matt, 2021, a new administration comes on board in January, so Director Andre Yanku has moved on, but he was running the PTAB during a very busy time. What will you remember is his impact or legacy at the PTAB looking back with what he did? Yeah, Director Yanku's time at the Patent Office took the helm in February 2018. And I think he really set out to make the patent office a more patent owner, more patent friendly forum. And I think he'll be known for succeeding in that front in a lot of areas. For the examining core, he helped to develop guidelines and helped to kind of untangle the web of patent eligibility case law, helping the examiners to have a more structured framework for doing that 101 analysis mm -hmm. and helping patent applicants have a more predictable framework for making their arguments there. So he definitely helped make things more patent friendly on the examination side of the patent office. And then at the PTAB, I think pretty consistently the tweaks that he made to the PTAB system, the IPRs and the post-grant reviews, were pretty consistently seeking to make the PTAB more patent owner friendly or at least mm -hmm. more predictable for patent owners. Things like the change of the claim construction standard from broadest reasonable interpretation to Phillips to align with uh, district court standards. The motion to amend pilot program makes it easier for patent owners to try to amend their claims in an IPR. And then through the development and identification of cases as being precedential, he put the precedential opinion panel in place for nominating cases to be precedential and for having further briefing and argument before being deemed precedential opinions. And then the cases that they ultimately uh, put out as precedential, things like NHK Spring and Fintiv regarding discretionary institution denials have really been geared towards helping patent owners out in a forum that early on was seen as pretty difficult for patent owners and a tough spot to be stuck in. Now, 2021, the patent office and the PTAB is a more patent-friendly place. 
Okay, so this isn't supposed to be an overtly political discussion. I don't think this is an overtly political position that he held. But when you say things like more patent owner friendly, more predictable, these are positive things, right? I mean, in the big picture, this is what people want to know. They know they're going to get a reasonable hearing. They know basically what to expect. I got to believe for a guy who, what you said, 2018, that's a pretty good legacy to have, isn't it, Matt? Yeah, definitely on the predictability front, that's good for all sides of the issue, no matter patent owner or petitioner side, to know what arguments the board is looking to make, what they're going to base their decisions on. That's good for everyone and definitely a positive for the system. That's going to be a really positive part of Director Yonku's legacy. This is a little off script or off outline, but what is a guy like that do next with his career? He's obviously a brilliant man with some great experience. Where does he land, do you think, or do we know? There's going to be all kinds of opportunities for him, be that going in-house to work for a company or a law firm, having those types of contacts and knowledge of the system is going to be potentially valuable for a lot of organizations that would be looking to have him on board. Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, he was quite in demand even before becoming the director of the PTO. So I, I can only imagine he's going to be a very popular person after this. Right, right. I'm certain. And Sarah, welcome to Jones Day Talks. This is your first time with us. But Matt and Dave Cochran had always talked very favorably about Director Iancu. So I'm sure he's on to great things and we'll watch where he goes. So, hey, Sarah, since we're back to you, let's talk about filing activity. Filings haven't gone down recently. The new administration and with the, the changes in directorship and so forth. Why is that? Why are filings holding steady? Yeah, there's a couple of reasons to explain that. And if you go back to a year ago, we were sort of stepping into this new uncharted territory with COVID. And there were a lot of questions about what was going to happen with patent litigation and and with the PTAB. And despite all of the uncertainty, the patent litigation has remained high pretty much across the board. So at the PTAB and at the district court level, we just haven't seen the kinds of reductions that I think folks were initially concerned about, and it's remained quite strong, even despite the transition to remote hearings and remote depositions and some of the trial trial issues with juries and that type of thing. It's remained strong. So I think that's great, and it's also happening at the PTAB. And in terms of the other changes that Matt sort of touched on, once the trial get started at the PTAB if it passes the institution stage. I mean, it's still a very petitioner-friendly place. So if you can make it past these discretionary decision issues, you still have a really good chance of getting a patent knocked out if it's in your way. So I think people still want to come to the PTAB to have that opportunity if they can get past institution. And then the third thing, which is litigators love to think about, is just there's a lot of strategic opportunities between the various forums that you can challenge patents and assert patents. And so there's always going to be this interest in how you can take advantage of the procedures that are available in the PTAB versus in the district court. And so there's always going to be an interest in doing that as well. There's probably a program for us to do about that at some point, Matt, Sarah, because Matt, you and Dave have touched on that before, different options available to the party's interest in these matters. And without giving away the store, that's something that I think would be interesting to a lot of the audience. So we ought to do that later on this year, but I digress. <laughs> well, let's talk about the new administration. Matt, installation of a new director, new administration. 
are we seeing seismic changes with the Biden administration, or will we holding serve? Matt, yeah, yeah, yeah. Matt, uh, you, yeah. You saw what I did there? Or yeah, what? That was... All right, audience. Matt was a stud high school tennis player. We were talking before we started recording, but go ahead. Anyway, what are we expecting for the Biden administration, Matt? You're too kind on that for for certain. But uh, Matt, I'd, so... know that. I'd, I'd be up for some mixed doubles sometime uh, down the road. Yeah, we've been playing paddle tennis this winter, and it's been great. It's a great way to get out and play some form of tennis in the winter. Uh, I have I, friends who played. I've never done it. I've heard it's a great workout. But go yeah, ahead. No, it's it's the best. As for the new administration, we're waiting to see still who's ultimately going to be named as the new director. But I think there's the potential for some shifts in PTO policy, particularly around the PTAB. I don't think seismic shifts. Director Iancu was very ambitious in a lot of ways. The changing of the claim construction standard was a big change. And then the development of this discretionary institutional denial case law and Mm -hmm. the naming of precedential decisions on that. Those were pretty big changes. And I think we could see some shift back in the other direction, maybe toward petitioner side of the V. Nothing major, seismic, but you could see some of the decisions that have been named presidential by Director Iancu being de-designated by a new director, particularly if the new director has more ties to the tech community who typically are more towards the petitioner, the patent challenger side of the V. A new director more sympathetic to the tech side of things might think about de-designating decisions such as Vintiv, NHK Spring, Mm -hmm. and, and and moving away from the large number of discretionary denials that we've seen over the last year. So I think there's definitely potential for change, likely will be some change, but nothing crazy, at least from what we've been able to see on the tea leaves so far. Okay. Now, I cannot think of a better time to insert a sort of discreet plug for the PTAB litigation blog that you guys do. Obviously, you'll have your ear to the ground and you'll be watching these things. And this is a good place to go for information as the situation develops. Right, Matt? Yeah, I appreciate the plug for ptablitigationblog.com. Yeah, we're writing two to three articles a week, uh, over 100 a year, covering all kinds of PTAB topics things that are in the news decisions or today talking about the the Supreme Court hearing arguments in the Arthrex case yesterday, where there's a slim chance that the Supreme Court could strike down the whole PTAB system. Don't think that's likely. I think they're much more likely to take a, a more measured approach in dealing with the the constitutional law issues that came up in the Arthrex case. But yeah, the PTAB litigation blog is the spot to read all about it very popular that's for sure i know these things because i watch so no you guys do a great job with that so sarah matt mentioned institutional discretion in fact we've been reading about that in the ptab blog what is it and what do i need to know as an interested or affected party what is this concept that we're talking about here Yeah, this is a very hot topic right now, as we've sort of been discussing already. So Matt mentioned the Fintiv presidential decision that came down a couple months ago, and that's sort of been the culmination of a trend over a couple of years where the PTAB has increased its reliance on its discretion to deny institution of petitions based on other 
litigation that's going on related to those patents. So as I think every PTAB practitioner knows, the PTAB has a lot of discretion in a number of areas. And so we're seeing increasingly that they're relying on that to sort of put a hold on PTAB litigation where litigation in other venues has been going on. And so the FinTIF case sort of solidified the thinking around that and identified certain factors that the panels should look at when evaluating whether to deny institution based on these parallel proceedings. Okay, that's a great explanation. Matt, I also had a note here, and you and I have talked about these things off and on for going on two years, but the PTAB statutes already identify time periods where petitions challenging a patent can be filed. Does this change anything? Yeah, it's interesting how this case law has developed because you're exactly right. 35 U.S.C. 315B sets a one-year time limit where petitioners can file their petitions. Once you're served with a complaint for infringement, you have one year to, to file your PTAB petition. So one would think that your window for filing these is one year. But as this case law has developed, the Patent Office and the PTAB have layered another extra layer of analysis regarding whether they, in their discretion, where the Supreme Court has said from the Cuozo case that the, the PTAB has wide discretion on issues of institution, whether the PTAB should take up a case or not based on what's happening in other forums. And it's developed early on based on that fairness to patent owners theme, where early in the PTAB days, there was definitely some piling on by petitioners who, while they may be acting within the one-year window, you would have eight, 10, 12 petitioners filing challenges against a single patent and the poor patent owner would just be buried in paper. And so this extra layer of analysis through the general plastic decision, NHK Spring, and then Fintiv and the Fintiv factors has developed in large part to try to make sure that we're being fair to patent owners, not dogpiling, that they're getting a fair shake and only having to defend cases where the PTAB thinks that the challenge is, is just. It makes sense to me. Is this part of Director Iancu's legacy? Yeah, it's right in line with his stated goals of making the patent office a patent and patent owner friendly face. Let's make sure we're being fair to patent owners and not having them being overwhelmed unfairly. Sure. All right. So, Sarah, back to you for a second. So, that's most of the rationale, right, behind the PTAB imposing these additional timing requirements, making sure that the patent owners get fair treatment, correct? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's a big part of it. The other aspect is there's a lot, for example, the district court is doing to address these issues in the parallel cases. There's a lot of work and effort going into it by the parties involved, by the court. And then there's also the PTAB's resources and expenses. And so it, it doesn't make sense in some of these instances to sort of be driving to the, the same decision on the same issues at the same time when mm -hmm. really one forum can handle it as easily as the other. And so this is intended to encourage litigants to pick the place you want to handle this and do it there and to avoid a, any sort of opportunity for gamesmanship in terms of the timing or one forum getting ahead of the other. Sure. But Matt, aren't there certain jurisdictions, whether it's ITC or certain fast district courts, where this could really put accused infringers in a sort of PTAB bind? 
You're exactly right there, Dave. As Sarah said, the PTAB is not inclined to allow you to have two opportunities to make these validity arguments. So if it looks like the district court or the ITC is going to decide these validity issues before the PTAB would get to them, that's one of the big indicators that they might uh, use their discretion to deny institution because the district court's going to, or the ITC is going to get those issues first. And certain forums like the ITC have really fast dockets. The ITC is going to get to make a validity determination within 18 months of filing of the ITC case. It's about the same timeline as the PTAB case. So most of the time, if the ITC case is filed first, they're going to make these determinations first, and the PTAB is going to be disinclined to institute a case. Now, Mm -hmm. is it fair that by filing in the ITC or a rocket docket venue, that the patent owner has effectively taken the PTAB off the menu of available options for the accused infringer. You know, some might feel that that's not quite fair to the accused infringer. And as you said, puts them in a bit of a bind, not being able to select where they want to have these validity challenges heard. So yeah, on balance, this is something that's up for hot debate in the PTAB world these days. Okay, well, let's pick up on that. Sarah, having heard what Matt just said, what can defendants do? to get the PTAB to look at their case under these circumstances. Uh, Yeah, I don't think it'll surprise you, based on what Matt just said, to hear that petitioners should get their petitions on file with the PTAB as quickly as possible if they want to try to win the race, so to speak. The Fintiv case looks at a number of factors that take into account how far along the parallel proceeding is. And so the more substantive activity that's taken place in the parallel case, the closer you are to any sort of resolution of the issues, the less likely the PTAB is to take it up. So you really want to get there as quickly as possible and do all of this before the parallel litigation has gotten very far along. You could also, as a petitioner, try to get an indication from the parallel proceeding that they would be willing to stay the case while the PTAB is considering it. So put the case on hold if you can, or at least get an indication from the court that that's a possibility. Okay, now, Matt, given this dynamic, how can patent owners capitalize on what's going on? The first one is somewhat obvious. The file it in a jurisdiction that has a fast docket. And if you can get into a venue that's likely going to be as fast or faster than the PTAB, then you have a good shot of being able to tell the PTAB, hey, district court ITC is going to deal with this issue first. It's not worth your time. And then if the accused infringer does end up filing a petition at the PTAB, you um, you know you want to make some arguments in your preliminary response on why the PTAB should exercise their discretion to deny institution. Make some arguments if the panel's inclined to potentially deny institution. Give them a path to do that in your preliminary response. And even if the PTAB doesn't decide to deny institution, a lot of times what you will entice the petitioner to do by making these arguments in your preliminary response, the petitioner may affirmatively make some statements to the district court, the trial court, or to the patent office that they're going to trim their trial court case so that these validity arguments aren't heard in both forums, where a recent presidential case from the PTAB, the Sotera case, Mm -hmm. said that if a petitioner says that they agree not to make validity arguments in both forums, that they affirmatively choose to proceed at the PTAB rather than in the trial court, the PTAB will take that into consideration in making their institution decision. So that's a petitioner strategy for keeping your PTAB case alive, making one of those Sotera stipulations on the patent owner side, 
making the preliminary response arguments to try to get offensive institution discretion denial. Even if you're not successful there, you might uh, have success in convincing the petitioner to trim their case via one of these Soterra stipulations. So there's really no downside in making that argument in your preliminary response. Sure, sure. I got to say, Matt, it sounds like you're as busy as ever. Because I remember when you and Dave Cochran and I were talking almost a year ago, we did one of these programs and COVID was just becoming a real issue. And you guys are like, well, we're not seeing anything yet, but it could slow down. We don't know. No one knows anything. Doesn't sound like anything's missed a beat, really. I mean, I know the format and the procedures and some things, but it sounds like it's been another busy year and it's going to get more busy. Am I wrong? It's largely based on what Sarah talked about earlier, that once you get in through the door, get that institution decision, the PTAB remains a very petitioner, patent challenger friendly forum. And Mm -hmm. so it remains something that everyone accused of infringement of a patent is looking at as a potential way to gain leverage in the case. So we had almost 1,500 total filings at the PTAB in fiscal year 2020. Definitely not at the highs of 2016-2017, but where we were up at 1,800 cases, but mm-hmm. still above the average and going strong. So still in 2021, looks like the PTAB is here to stay as a big consideration in every uh, patent litigation. Yeah, it certainly seems so. This has been great, by the way. Sarah, Matt, thanks. But let's close on, I don't know, a pragmatic or a practical note. What are clients asking you about right now? What's, I don't want to say keeping them up at night, because like that sounds a little, you know, inflammatory. But given the current environment and a new administration, are there certain questions or issues or concerns that clients are bringing to your attention? And this is for either one of you, Sarah or Matt, if something pops to mind, is there anything that we ought to know? I'll jump in first. The Arthrex case that Matt alluded to earlier that was just heard yesterday at the Supreme Court is a very hot topic as well in this area. And so a lot Uh of clients are anxiously awaiting what happens there and what changes that might trigger in the PTAB. And in addition to that, patent owners especially are still thinking about, well, once things are instituted, are there other things that we would like to have a fairer shake at that point in the process. So I think generally the changes that Matt talked about have been well received, but from a patent owner perspective, they feel that there's still room for certain improvements down the line in the procedure. Yeah, good enough, good enough. Matt, anything you'd add? Yeah, the the biggest thing over the last year and and beyond whether the PTAB's going to survive Arthrex and whether we're here for another podcast in a few months, but but more more practically, the Fintiv line of cases, the discretionary denials really call for coordination of strategy across all forums. You want to be posturing your case so it makes sense and gives you the best opportunities at the PTAB across all your forums. So decisions you make at the district court, at the ITC, where you, where you file your infringement lawsuits, they all have downstream effects on what's going to happen at the PTAB and how effective it is for the patent owner or petitioner. So really early strategic thinking across the entire matter is really critical these days. And that's where I see a lot of discussion, early planning on both sides of the V to try to put yourself in the best position to do well at the patent office through strategizing in the broader matter. Well said. Well said. Thank you. All right. And one more time, it's ptablitigationblog.com. That's it. Check in every day for PTAB news and analysis. 
There are a lot of blogs out there, professional services and law firms, but you all do an astounding job just keeping that so current and so up. It's just a real effort and you and Dave and Sarah and everybody else involved over there are just outstanding. You keep it fresh, you keep it interesting. It's been very well received. I hear a lot of things anecdotally that you guys are a hit. So keep, keep it up. It's all great. So thanks so much. Thanks, Dave. Hey, great time. We'll do this again uh, probably in two or three months. All right. Look forward to it. We'll have lots more to talk about then, I'm sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Matt, Sarah, thanks so much. Thanks, Dave. All right. Take care. Bye. To find complete biographies and contact information for Matt and Sarah, please visit jonesday.com. And while you're there, check out our insights page. You'll find more podcasts, publications, white papers, newsletters, videos, and other important content. And don't forget the PTAB litigation blog at ptablitigationblog.com. That's one word, ptablitigationblog.com. Subscribe to Jones Day Talks at Apple Podcasts or wherever else really good podcasts are found. As always, we thank you for listening. I'm Dave Dalton. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to Jones Day Talks. Comments heard on Jones Day Talks should not be construed as legal advice regarding any specific facts or circumstances. The opinions expressed on Jones Day Talks are those of lawyers appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect those of the firm. For more information, please visit jonesday.com.